0: Welcome to the Cybersecurity Matters podcast, a series of interviews with key leaders throughout the industry, all brought to you by the cybersecurity team at NUCO, a specialist global recruitment and executive search firm.
1: Welcome to the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. Your hosts today are me, Harry Bullwooden, and Alexandra O'Shaughnessy-Treadwell, two members of the cybersecurity team here at NUCO, and we're delighted to be joined today by Chuck Herron. An all-round security expert, Chuck is currently the CTO of industry-leading API security business, WIB, and has over 15 years' experience in senior and board-level IT security roles, including as a penetration tester, serving as the group CISO and head of IT security risk and compliance for everything consumer-facing for AIG, and executive VP and CISO for Texas Capital Bank. In the last 20 years in security, he's acted as an attacker, a defender, and most recently, a builder. Uh, Welcome to the show, Chuck. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Awesome, fantastic. Um, and to get us started, Chuck, we always love to ask people the same thing. How did you first get into the cybersecurity industry?
0: Uh, so my uh, origin story is uh, is is partially origin story and cautionary tale. Um, so <laughs> back, back about I don't know twenty plus years ago now, um, right around the the two thousand mark, somewhere in there. Uh, I was working on a, a big uh, desktop migration at a very large bank uh, in the Carolinas, and uh, I found some issues uh, with the um, the way that we were installing the uh, the new devices and escalated it and, and sort of ran it up the flagpole. And at that point in my career, uh, I would describe myself as having the right to remain silent, but not necessarily yeah. the ability. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, uh and wound up um sort of publicly challenging a uh, an executive who more or less just wanted me to shut up uh and and you know do, do your job, keep your head down this is not your problem um and I didn't have the uh political prowess necessarily to do that, but I was right and and, and I was you know, hung up on this like, no, you're wrong. And, uh, and when he called me out on it, then I, I demonstrated the, the vulnerability that, that I was talking about, which uh, essentially allowed me to use Microsoft Excel and store procedures uh, to expand my access uh, into an administrative uh, level that I shouldn't have been able to do. And it caused a bit of a kerfuffle. And um, so, yeah, I got my start in cybersecurity by publicly challenging an executive uh, because I can't keep my mouth (laughs) shut about something. Um, Your mileage may vary as far as tracks into the cyberspace. But what I learned was, um, uh, you know, you could actually, you know, find ways to to exploit vulnerabilities and get paid for that. And and after, you know, after that role, I moved into the pen testing space, um, which is an awesome... A uh, you know, job for a you know a young person in their twenties, maybe with no kids, not a great job. If you've got kids that don't want to work seventy hours a week from a hotel somewhere, <laughs> at least back in those days. But uh, that that you could actually get paid for this. Um, and because I get bored easily, cybersecurity has just been you know a fantastic field for me because it changes so rapidly. I, I haven't been bored in, in twenty plus years now.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, awesome. That's a fantastic answer. And then what I would ask off the back of that is kind of how did it come to be that you then got involved in in senior technology leadership and and advisory positions? How did that come to pass?
0: so when when i i was a pen tester for a while and and uh, actually built uh, with with some other folks out of uh, charlotte and atlanta a penetration penetration testing practice for a consulting company and this is after the the days of um, sort of the the enron collapse and tyco there's a lot of corporate governance you know issues in, in the states um, and elsewhere in the early 2000s and we built out these pen testing practices but the the bottom kind of fell out of the pen testing market for a while after 2002 because of sarbanes-oxley and once yeah. we started talking about you know federal prison for ceos and cfos if they violate you know terms of socks you know 302 and 404 that got a lot of attention and i really didn't want to travel 100% of the time uh, if I wasn't breaking into places. like So, so if we're going to do a <laughs> Department of Energy installation in, and I need to be on the road, cool, I'm there, right? Um, if I need to travel somewhere and go through a checklist uh, for general IT audit stuff, that's that, That's not what I wanted to do. And so I, I landed at uh, an insurance company that uh, probably very familiar to AIG, right? Big, yeah. big firm, Fortune, Fortune 5 company at the time. And um, the, at a company like that, I, th- I really think that if anybody wants, if you want the big global job at some point in your career, you know land at a company like that and work your way up is a great experience. You learn a lot about a lot of different things. and uh, the the way that I got into the leadership roles there was essentially take on something, run it down, get it running, and there's a bigger fire somewhere else. Take you know take take it on, run it down. there's a bigger fire somewhere else, and always end every you know one on one with my bosses. Uh, and I had 19 bosses in 11 years at AIG. Um, it was not a, a stable wow. time uh, through through the 2008 and, and subsequent years after that. But I always ask, you know, is there anything else I can help you with? Is there anything else I can help you with? And, you know, eight times out of 10, there was. And and I wound up you know having six different roles uh, in those eleven years, um, wow. you know, culminating with you know running IT security risk and compliance for everything consumer facing, and that's you know we were in a hundred countries, eighteen major markets, about twenty eight billion a year in revenue, uh, two hundred and two regulators, and and you know like everybody should have that global job experience, you know, but the the problem with a role like that is it's a little bit like sitting on the side of a super tanker with an oar sometimes and you're trying to go 2 degrees starboard and i just want to go 2 degrees starboard you got a great team and you really love the people that you work with but when you have so many different divisions and so many different CEOs and CIOs and different strategic plans and markets and competitive pressures across all these segments it's very difficult to actually execute on a cohesive security strategy and um that that's how i got into though the the sort of the executive ranks in the security space was just working your way up in a big, in a big company, uh, taking on more, taking on more and get a reputation as, okay, this is the guy that'll, that'll take on more. And he'll, he'll crank through the 60, 70, 80 hour weeks to try to get it all done. Um, there's plenty of room at the top. There's, pl- <laughs> for, you know, th- there's, there's plenty of demand for people that'll take on stuff and, and, you know, and try to make their, their bosses and their bosses, bosses lives easier. Um, just got to demonstrate that you're willing to do it. You're willing to do the work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And and what a great answer. I mean, it sounds like we've had some really, really interesting experiences in, in senior technology leadership roles. Uh, what, you know, along with that, what kind of have been your most formative experiences in, in, in senior technology leadership roles?
0: In senior roles. Um, I'd say that one of my m- most formative uh, was when I, when I was starting uh, at, um, uh, uh, at AIG, I, I worked there on a contract for a while and then I converted to a a regular employee and, um, the first day after my conversion my boss quit and and it was very much one of those men black tommy lee jones will smiths moments of i wasn't training a partner i was hiring a replacement um i didn't know that at the time and and you know he was a great guy to work with and work for so i hated to see him go but all of a sudden like i was it and and that was a very much a uh, okay Let's let, we're gonna figure it out, and and it's kind of a sink or swim type thing. And and we did; we figured it out. We we got it done. I had great support from the rest of the management team, and um, uh, you know, from there, just just when when I left, uh, I think one thing that I've learned over and over and over again, taking over new roles, um, and, and coming in, is I had some formative moments where I realized I made mistakes by not separating the arsonist from the firefighter. So when you come into a new CISO role, um, uh, or any kind of a senior technology, n- not everything's perfect. Like you, you know, not everything's perfect. There, there's a lot of stuff that people are trying to fix, people are trying to make better, and it's difficult. You know, imagine that you're arriving at a, at the scene of a of a you know building fire. If you come in and start yelling at the people that are there, that are just trying to to put the structure fire out, and asking why isn't this fire out, and why don't we have all this stuff, and why isn't this done yet, that's not really that helpful and and i i made that mistake early in my career and and then later i saw others come in and make the same mistake uh and i reacted just as poorly to that um you know as as they as the per- people earlier in my career reacted to me um just like look i'm i'm trying to fix this yes i know it's not perfect that's why we're working so hard um but i think mm-hmm. that that you know what uh what i learned through that is that you know interpersonal relationships and empathy are, are so much more important than technology skills when it comes to to, to leadership. Um, hmm. I don't care what business you're in, you're in the people business. and and you know if you come in and start yelling at folks because you know you're the new boss or whatever and and you come in and decide to, to kick the door down and start uh, <laughs> um, you know changing everything with, without first gaining understanding of why things are the way they are. You're not going to get a very good response and, and people aren't going to, mm. you know, aren't going to bring you ideas. They're, they're going to shut down. Your great performers are going to be quiet and then they're going to leave. and You're not going to know why. Um, so I think the formative experiences for me were, were personally mistakes that I made because I was I was more ambitious than I was empathetic. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and learning over the years that, you know, what actually, this is people matter in this in this <laughs> in, in this whole, whole thing. Right. This is not technology. Um, this yeah. is this is a people business.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. I mean, that's it's a great story, Chuck, and 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 you know, really interesting to see how that's kind of almost a, a learned skill, right? And and yes, yeah, it's, it's fantastic to hear um i'd love to take a look at kind of the present day and also kind of the future as well you know what that might hold for you and and security and and, and web as well um everyone is definitely you know all of our podcast listeners will be fascinated about what the life of a chief technologyology chief technology officer looks like so what insight can you give our audience into the life of a cto
0: it's a great question um the the life of a CTO. Um, so I've I've done it now a couple of times. And I think what I'm learning as I as I continue to you know gain more experience as a CTO is that the further backwards we can look, the further forward we can see. And and having an understanding of like the, the generational issues and the patterns that we see over and over and over again, especially as it relates to security and innovation. History doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And this is actually something I was talking about yesterday at the FDX conference here in Dallas, Financial Data Exchange, where, you know, th- there are groups there that are building standards for for APIs for finance. And it's it's super important that we build standards that that everybody can understand and build to, so that not everybody has to engineer this stuff from the ground up. And and we're talking about. These patterns that we see where adoption of new technology outpaces security over and over and over again. And we've seen it now a half a dozen times just in the 20 years that I've been doing it, right? So when we went from mainframes to distributed client server systems, we, we didn't understand the security model that we were going to need to roll out, but we did things like roll out desktops and everybody was local admin and there was no really good anti-malware and we weren't collecting event logs from the endpoints and all of these things that we would never do today because we, we just didn't know at the time. And then when we went to the internet for the first time, you know all kinds of mistakes with all of a sudden, anybody can send any input to your application and you've got to figure out how to handle that. And we still have issues with that 20 plus years later. Um, you know SQL injection, cross-site scripting, these are still prevalent issues. Use, even though we've been trying to fight these things for 20 years, we went to the cloud and, and so many people had this model of my cloud strategy is, you know, I'm making air quotes here, you know, lift and shift. You're completely missing the point of, of adopting the new technology if all you want to do is run the old stuff in, in a new environment and you're, you know, you know, you're burned through your budget and you're not going to get your security right and so adoption always outpaces security. And so what we're trying to do now from a builder perspective is help companies anticipate what are you going to need to build in as you um, adopt APIs and microservices so that it's not like cloud security 15 years ago. And, yeah. and you have you know just breach after breach after breach of the same mistake with unsecured buckets and, and, and all kinds of things, these common things that we see. So what we're trying to do is, is build the landing spot uh, where the puck is headed, right? That that great Wayne Gretzky quote, um, you know, don't skate to where the puck is. I, I skate to where the puck is headed. Yeah. To figure out where the puck is headed, and then build the platform that's going to let our customers land there, um, so that they don't have to try to figure this all out themselves. Like we we see the same mistakes over and over and over again with every generation of technology, and even outside of technology, this is a human trait, right? So talking about looking looking backwards. One of the analogies I use with non-technical audiences is, you know, w- between World War One and World War Two, uh, we had the greatest military minds in Europe build the Maginot Line, right, all the way from from Belgium to to the Mediterranean on the eastern uh, border of France, and the the fortifications are massive, ten to twenty kilometers deep. They had, you know, underground refueling tunnels and things like that, and they were fighting the last war. They were they were determined that they were never going to be subject to another, you know. Uh, Ground assault the way that they were in 1914, where we had, you know, people riding out again fighting the last war, riding out with, with, uh, you know, brightly colored uniforms and swords and sabers and spears up against tanks. Um, And what happened the next time, literally, you know, in 1940, the enemy then went through Belgium and the Luftwaffe flew overhead like they were they were skating to where the puck was and they missed where the puck was heading they knew about air power they didn't build in defenses for anti aircraft right and that's what we're trying to avoid so outside of the technology it's just a human trait we're always fighting the last war and i think job of a cto is to consciously pull your teams up out of that and figure out where you need to be in 2 years 3 years 4 years
1: Fascinating. Yeah, I love that quote. I'm a def- big fan of that as well. And and you know, one thing I'm interested to hear is 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 kind of what is your current take on the uh, on the state of the uh, the API security space at the moment?
0: Um, it'd be great if there was some uh, API security. Uh, it's and I'm being flippant, uh, obviously. Um, it's 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 another it's another echo. It's another history rhyming, right? So it's just like cloud computing. I think most you know recent example of this is we knew for 15 years, or maybe 10 years, that adoption of the cloud was inevitable. There are so many benefits. There are so many you know, cost savings and the ability to deliver value more quickly. We all knew it was inevitable. And defenders, for some reason, didn't jump on board and try figuring out how to do it safely. They they resisted. They didn't understand how it worked. They had they were overstretched in legacy environments and all kinds of reasons why why we didn't get there. And, and we saw all kinds of issues and eventually had to catch up. And but people are still really worried about cloud issues. I saw a CISO article this morning it was like 90 94% or something, 96% of companies, you know, anticipate that they're going to have a cloud breach in the next 12 months. APIs and microservices that use them are the same phenomenon. The the adoption is inevitable. The benefits of being able to so quickly and easily integrate across companies and across partner portals and um and and you know mash up all this functionality in a standardized way and the API, all you have to do is just send the API, the input that's in the documentation. The the advantages are manifest are, are massive, right? There, there's no way that we aren't going to rapidly continue to adopt apis and microservice based architectures they're so much better they're so much faster and the point of business isn't security the point of business is business and delivering business value and so if you aren't adopting apis and microservices uh either from a business strategy perspective or in certain industries like you know uh, finance and 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 healthcare where you've got regulatory mandates for things like data mm-hmm. sharing and and you know lowering moats to consumer choice and things the way that you comply with these things is via apis and microservices the 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 rock and a hard place situation where CIOs and CTOs and CISOs find themselves is if you don't adopt it you're going to get out competed you're going to die if you d- adopt it incorrectly or insecurely you're exposing these back end systems and data um you know and APIs aren't the same uh, as the web security that we've been you know using in the last 20 years they expose your business logic directly they expose these back end systems directly your traditional defenses like wafs and api gateways they can help around the edges, but the, the case studies that we go through where we, we really generally try to um, highlight what a log-based attacks looks like, WAFs and API gateways do not understand your business logic, and they can't. They were never designed to mm-hmm. do so. Um, and so adoption right now is rapidly, rapidly, rapidly outpacing security. And and when we talk about security, I mean the basic stuff. Like So the technology changes, but the fundamental practices and principles don't inventory, asset management. Do you know what your attack surface looks like, right? I'm an old, like my company is young, but I am not, right? I got the gray beard going on, right? Uh, but, But we've been doing threat modeling for 20, 25 years. And you need to know your assets, actors, interfaces, and actions in any environment or ecosystem. And then you, you know, so you know who's doing what to what via what. And the I in API is interface and yeah. easily easily 50% of apis maybe more it's really hard to to prove uh, an unquantified quantity but lots and lots and lots of apis are completely unmanaged and completely unmonitored and meanwhile api traffic is 91% of web traffic yeah so you know apis and their adoption made it around the world before security teams got their boots on and so now yeah. we're we're really frantically trying to help companies catch up and keep up um, and it's like everything else, it's, it's as fast, it's, it's it's as fast as it's ever been. It's as slow as it's ever going to be. Um, it's never going to get slower. Right. So, so the teams that are already behind the curve, where we talk about, you know, I've got hundreds of APIs. I don't know what the development teams are doing. I don't know how these things work and so forth and so on. It's like a one-legged man chasing a rabbit. The longer it goes on, the further apart they're getting. Yeah. Um, and so, while we're really working and trying hard to solve for these problems at a macro level, it's only getting worse right now. We're we're not catching up um, as a as an industry or as a, as a species. Uh, it's only worsening at the moment.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, fascinating, Chuck. And and you mentioned kind of the the catch up that you know, security has to play with, with regards to APIs. Are there any kind of other reasons why you? I mean, because it's, it's noticeably one of the fastest growing industry segments, right? Um, you know, what what do you attribute that to? You know, specifically, you know, any other reasons you think?
0: I think that the the functionality and the capabilities that the adoption of APIs are are just mind blowing, and so in in my last couple of roles as CISO and and CTO, uh, both in finance and banking, you know, more or less in modern banking, my whole ecosystem was APIs. My banking yeah. core was API driven. My internal servicing screens were API driven. My insurance platform was API driven. OFAC, know your customer, anti money laundering, fraud, um, you know, account setup, authentication. Like, Everything is API driven. and and I had you know over four hundred APIs and six thousand endpoints before we opened a single account and trying to understand who's doing what to what via what in that ecosystem when the tooling just didn't exist. very, very complex and 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 it really threw me in uh, you know, um, a great deal of sudden understanding of, holy crap, like I can' I can't see what I'm used to being able to see. Um, and, and it's really at a foundational level, like when you've got two third parties, let's say that you're, you're building a modern FinTech. You've got a banking core. Maybe it's a real-time banking core, and it's all API-driven, but it's actually hosted somewhere else. And then your internal servicing screen, your operations screen that your internal staff uses, is hosted at another third party. And those APIs are communicating between those two third parties. And then you go to open an account, and it makes a call out to do uh, know your customer. Uh, you know, sort of do due diligence on the potential customer. That goes to another third party. None of these go back through your environment. But this is real customer data and real financial information and potentially transactions that are going across the wire, and as the the you know the leadership of that financial institution, you're accountable for all the bad activity that goes on there, wow. and and there's a, a pretty prevalent assumption that that I get when I talk to to bankers, well my my core provider does that, my service provider does that, and I'm you know yeah. No, <laughs> they don't. <laughs> they, yeah. are, are you sure about that? Um, I know you probably want that to be the case, but uh, so it, it's a very complex ecosystem that we've built and and complexity being the enemy of security um it's it's a supply chain issue it's an internal issue it's a governance issue and and what you can do by exploiting this business logic like the the case study i mentioned that we talked about yesterday and i'm going to be talking about at API world next week where we just abuse business logic on a very large bank uh, it, it's it's not a us bank but if it was it'd be in the top 50 by asset size and printed money into our own account completely undetected just, yeah wow you know, it, yeah these these are the type of vulnerabilities that we're opening up not intentionally um, but we're unaware. We're unaware of of this this the changing attack surface that these architectural changes are are exposing.
1: Yeah, I mean unbelievable. I mean fantastic fantastic insight. And and where do you see then, you know, where do you hope to see at least API security in 10 years' time?
0: I, I really hope that we can we can close these blind spots and treat API security um the way that we should be, which these are just interfaces to back end systems. There's no magic here. Um, You know, APIs exist to make developers jobs easier and they do a great job of that. Um, But if you don't know what's exposed to the outside world, you you can't monitor, you can't manage it. And and a lot of companies, you know, their lifeblood is is via APIs, right? So uh, we'll we'll catch up eventually because we have to. What I'm hoping in, in in the interim period is that we don't have massive, you know, nation state and critical infrastructure implications um mm-hmm. or you know life safety issues with one, one of the the companies that we've started working with now is a major uh automotive uh, automotive manufacturer and when we're talking about APIs with them it's not just APIs for uh you know their mobile app uh and, you know and, and things like that um they have computers in their cars they have you know 11 13 yeah. you know, CPUs in every car that rolls off the assembly line now and they're ta- trying to talking they're talking about interfacing with smart cities traffic lights, emergency vehicles, other vehicles, other cars, right? There's life safety issues at the individual level and the family level. If bad actors figure out how to abuse these APIs or maybe targeted API abuse for, you know, very high net worth people or political figures and things like that, we're going to have to figure this out as a species. Mm-hmm. And I hope we can do so before, you know, we have critical infrastructure issues with with water treatment or the power grid or nuclear plants or things like that, where you know we see a lot of companies that are old and been around a while do a technology modernization project in air quotes and they they put an API in front of their mainframe or their AS400 and they've modernized the technology but it's still the same you know big iron 40 year old system uh behind the scenes i think we're going to i think we we see a lot of that like in in critical infrastructure and government yeah. and and i worry about those attack surfaces just more as a citizen than uh <laughs> than as a uh you know a software vendor
1: yeah Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, really great insight there, Chuck. Thanks very much. Um, and over to Alexandra and, and on to our key topic that matters.
2: Thank you so much, Sheikh. And kind of um going off what you were just saying about citizens and an API still, what do you think a, a regular person should know about API security and how it affects the world around them generally?
0: Um it kind of depends on on that citizen's uh, involvement in, in the technology space as, as to mm-hmm. get sort of a so what now what? Like, what do I do about this? Yeah. Um, I, I think the, a good place to start is every time you pick up your mobile phone and check your weather uh, or, you know, listen to a, a podcast or, mm-hmm. you know, do, do anything, you're, you're using APIs. Um, a- APIs, you know, account for API traffic is over 90% of web traffic, according to our friends at Akamai. Uh, they actually corrected me, we we had a stat, we were, um, we were saying the 83% was. Um, and then we started working with Akamai on some things. And they said, actually, your, your deck's wrong. And I went, oh, my gosh, what, what do we do? And they went, yeah, it's low. It's, it's 91% now. Oh, okay. So it's worse than I thought. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think that there's, uh, I, there's not a ton that the average consumer can really do About the API security that you know their their mobile app providers and things like that, um, you might expose them them to, uh, except the basics about protect your identity, um, don't install apps that you don't use, like you just reduce your personal attack surface, right? Um, The the it's already the adoption is already out there uh in some industries it's already 95 99 percent of new development is is api first so from an individual customer perspective there's not a ton that they can do now if that individual consumer happens to be in a role where they can exercise some accountability over vendors that they're doing business with then i think bringing api security to the conversation and making sure like okay how are you monitoring uh, you know API activity how are you validating and testing apis before you start sending sensitive data over them and things like that mm-hmm. it's much more of a supply chain governance issue that I think we're, we're really lacking right now we we don't see a lot of due diligence um in the in the space and when we do start looking it's bad <laughs> it's, <laughs> um, uh it's it's really not a, a good security um, model right now at all
2: yeah, for sure. And thank you for that. I I think that the average person, they don't really understand how much they interact with API, right? Um, do you think that's maybe, that's maybe one of the most serious um, API security issues affecting organizations today? Or what do you think is one of those, those biggest issues?
0: I think probably the, the biggest issue is that APIs are so much easier to create and publish than they are mm-hmm. to cover. Okay, um, fascinating and and so like like i see uh, announcements and things like from the folks at, at AWS about you know one click api publishing and i'm like okay guys from a technology perspective mm-hmm. that's really cool but from a defendant, a defending and a governance perspective oh my gosh like that 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 just you know every time you do that you expose you know more attack surface that nobody's monitoring mm-hmm. nobody's looking for right now i think that, that there's a lot of process breakdown where you know, when we think about change management processes and things that enterprises have had to do for a long time, a lot of these a lot of these interfaces are you know, they're just not managed at all. And I had a great conversation actually with the CTO for GigaOM a few weeks ago, and um, he asked what I thought was a really insightful question: How many APIs does your storage platform have? How many of those are documented, and how many of those are you monitoring? Like those are three very different answers. Um, and, but but so far, we have not seen an industry push to hold vendors accountable for documentation of all these interfaces. And remember, APIs is not just about, you know, they're not just about data transfer, although that's a, a key uh, you know, component of what we do with APIs. But it's also about invocation of function, right? So if you've got APIs that are exposed for your storage platform and you're worried about ransomware, uh, that's really something that you should, <laughs> that you should understand. Um, but, but we haven't held the vendors accountable necessarily for exercising their own discipline. And until the people who, uh, sign the front of the check care about it, the people that sign the back of the check are not going to act on it. Right. Mm, yeah. If, if, if they can, if they can get away with not doing it, they just as soon not put the money and time into it because it's expensive.
2: For sure. No, really, really fascinating um, and interesting discussion there. Um, And now to move on to one of our other core topics, and that's diversity, Um, always an interesting um, and important thing to discuss. And do you think that diversity is improving within cybersecurity?
0: I think that it is. And I also think improving from where it's been over the last 20 Mm. years is a pretty low bar. So so getting better, sure. Um, But, uh, you know, a, a while back, I don't know if this is a great analogy or not, but um, I, I made some post on LinkedIn that said, you know, my daily affirmation has gone from I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and people like me to, man, I've seen fatter, you know, b- better, better from the relative monoculture that cybersecurity has been improving mm. from that is, yeah, I think, we're, I think it's getting better. Um, but I think it was hard to get much worse, honestly. Mm. Um, d- diversity is an interesting topic. And, you know, you know, we at WIB, um, we focus on it. Uh, within our own ranks, uh, you know, half of our leadership positions are, are female. Uh, and if you look back at my team construction, any of my former team members that are listening to this podcast can can attest, we've always had very diverse uh, teams. But I, I would say that we never built a diverse team because of like an ESG metric that said we have to. Um, and that's something that I'm actually pretty proud of. Um, it's, it's what I refer to, and I, I didn't invent this phrase, but I adopted it, the constructive use of differences. Um, mm. you know, you really do get a lot of valuable insight from people with varying walks of life and various experiences. Um, in, in my AIG days, I hired, you know, one of one of my favorite people, uh, Linda, if you're listening, I'm talking about you. Um, <laughs> you know, she she didn't have a technical background and we moved her onto the team. Uh the, our head of, of risk and compliance, Tim, he had a printing background, wasn't a technical guy. I hired the guy who ended up being my successor from a development role. And we built a wonderful team that complemented each other very well, um, mm-hmm. using these constructive differences. I didn't want people that that thought like me, um, not not for nothing. But like, if if I, if fifty two percent of my decisions are right, I'm having a good day, um, and and I need team members that that say, "Wait a minute, I didn't think of, Did you think about this?" And no, I, I didn't. That that you know, thank you for bringing that up. Right, and it's not just diversity that does that. You also have to build the culture where people feel that it's safe to actually bring stuff up like that to you. So for so sure. not only not only do you need to bring their perspective, but then you need to make it safe for them to express that perspective. Uh and then and then listen to them, right? You know things that they don't. Got it. You're the boss. Yes. You're very smart. Congratulations. <laughs> they know things that you don't. Acknowledge that. Like th- th- you brought them into the you know onto the team for a reason. Listen to them. Um, and if you don't agree with something, tell them why. Because that may be a learning experience that you've got some battle scar that they haven't experienced yet, and they need to know that. And if they can learn from your experience without making the same mistake themselves, great, everybody's better off. So it's a long answer to an important question. I think diversity is getting better. Um, I'm a little torn on you know, ESG metrics forcing you know quotas or ratios or things i think it's it's kind of a means to an end and i, and I get that it's getting it on the table and that's valuable but i think that just doing it to, to check a box or to to meet a ratio is not the right reason mm. you're you're it's the same it's the same uh i guess numeric result but it's not the same benefit right not the same and,
2: cultural and- response within the company
0: Yeah, you know, you kind of, yes, you know, it highlights the issue. Great. Mm Because it is an issue that needs highlighting. But I don't think that's necessarily doing it for the right reasons. You're, if you're not focused on the constructive use of differences and actually gaining insight from the people Mm -hmm. that you hire, if you just hire somebody to meet a quota and then don't listen to them, you haven't really improved anything. Yeah, nobody wants to be a statistic, (laughs) right?
2: Yeah, Um, no, 100%. And that's really interesting. And clearly, Personally and at WIB, you're very much working on that and, and breaking down those barriers. What do you think traditionally the barriers to entry are generally? And what steps then can we maybe take to reduce those?
0: Oh, that's a great question. I think I think traditionally a lot of the barriers to entry are that hiring managers are looking, in my view, for the wrong stuff. Mm. Hiring managers are looking for what degree do you have? What certifications do you have? Um, you know, and and while that's it's important that that you hire people that you know that that know what they're doing. I think it's more important to hire people that have the potential. The subject matter, mm-hmm. like nobody's born knowing API security. Nobody's born knowing how to be a tester. Nobody's born you know, knowing this stuff. We all had to learn it. So mm-hmm. What I want to find are people that have the right attitude and that are the right people that I want to work with. And I want my team members to work with because we work hard and we spend a lot of time with each other. And the subject matter is the easiest part. The subject matter is the like sometimes, yeah, you gotta hire a specialist because you know, I need somebody to hit the ground running that knows, you know, machine learning or, or you know, actuarial mm-hmm. modeling or something like that. Like you're hiring for a hard skill. I got that. But but um I don't remember who said it, but I really liked it. Uh, in technology, the soft skills are actually the hard skills. It's that's the hard yeah. stuff to find. It mm-hmm. is, is, is the the subject matter stuff can be taught i think hiring managers make the mistake of imagine that you're hiring and you're and you're buying a car and you tell the the recruiter i need a red car with 20 inch wheels and you know uh you know these the sort of external easy to verify characteristics but what i'm buying is a race car i need the right chassis i need the right engine the 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 wheel size and the the color of the paint, like that can that's easy to fix. That's the easy stuff. The subject matter stuff is easy. That's what mentorship is about. That's mm. and if you if you're in cybersecurity and you're not constantly learning and reading and attempting webinars and listening to podcasts and trying new things and creating hacking labs in your own environment, you're gonna wash out in two years anyway. If you're not a lifelong learner that's always learning new things, mm. You're never going to be able to stay current. So what I focus on is trying to hire people that have that drive, that intellectual curiosity, the ability to learn, the willingness to learn, the, the willingness to say, I don't know, and then go figure it out. That's much, much, much more important than what certifications you have. Um, and I think that our over-focus on that, that the wrong stuff is really kind of where we got here today. We, we didn't yeah. appreciate people's potential, regardless of their background, to come in and learn this stuff. Um, and, and I think that's been a disservice to the industry. I wish we'd mm. stop doing that, start hiring the right people and, and not the right certifications.
2: Yeah, for sure. And and on to that human personal side, um, I think our listeners would really appreciate to know a little bit more about you outside of work. Um, so I'd, I'd love to know really what your perfect weekend would look like.
0: Oh, goodness. Um. <laughs> So I'm very fortunate uh, in, in that um, we 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 have a place here in in North Texas, um, and mm-hmm. it's about 20 acres. And I have cows and horses, and you know, oh a wow, and a, and a you know, a couple of goats that are the dumbest animals in the world. Um, and uh, you know, dogs. I've got a little golden retriever puppy. And my perfect weekend really is, is sitting on my back porch reading a book. Um, Lovely. Cu- cup of coffee, cup of tea. Um, you know, it's beautiful right now in Dallas. It's in the, you know, if you're in a Fahrenheit scale, it's in the upper 70s, you know, mm-hmm. so you know mid mid 20s or so um Celsius. And my, my perfect weekend is sitting out on my um my swinging chair with my wife and my daughters around and my my pups and listening to something streaming on Spotify and reading a book about something new. that's oh, perfect.
2: It no, it really doesn't. That sounds very ideal to me too. Um, thank you for that. Um, and so now into a bit of a quick fun uh quick fire round. So it's kind of a this or a that situation. Um sure. so here we go. Triumphed in lockdown or failed in lockdown? Triumph. What is your favorite game or sport to watch and play?
0: Motorcycle racing.
2: Books, TV, or music to relax?
0: Ooh. Uh, oh, gosh, that's a really hard one. Um, probably book, but barely.
2: <laughs> Optimist or realist?
0: Um, I'd say the best thing about being slightly pessimistic is that you go through life either being correct or pleasantly surprised that things went better than you thought.
2: Good e- good explanation. <laughs> Follow your head or your heart?
0: Um, ooh. I don't know, heart by a nose, but 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 barely. Don't 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 be naive, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Yeah, uh, Apple or Microsoft? Apple. If you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be?
0: Mm. Fajitas from Lupe Tortilla.
2: Nice. I have to Google that after. Mountain peaks or bright white beach? Beaches. Sports car or camper van?
0: Oh. Can one toe the other
2: i mean uh, it's uh, out of the box but i like it so i'll allow it <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you so much um it was really great to get more of an insight on you as well as learning so much from you um about the technical side of it um our guests always get the same final question and that is one piece of advice uh what one piece of advice would you give to someone entering the industry
0: it's it's a great question and it's tough to to boil down 20 years of battle scars into one piece of advice, but I think mm-hmm. if I, if I had to boil it down to one, um I would say don't forget the human element in this space. And the most um the easiest way to do that if there's one behavior, it would be to assume positive intent. When you don't understand what somebody's doing or you don't know why somebody's doing something, don't assume the worst. Assume positive intent. They're probably trying to do the right thing. They have different information than you do. You may not have the whole picture, but, but don't assume the worst in people because of all of the, the relationships I think that I've damaged inadvertently over the years, that has been my mistake. I, I assumed more than was there and I didn't assume positive intent and I was wrong. Mm. So it, that's, that's probably the one piece of advice, like just be more empathetic um, and, and assume positive intent. You don't know the whole story yet, so don't assume the worst.
2: For sure. And I think we should we should all take that, just take that on board, listeners and all. Um, thank you so much for that beautiful advice and all your wisdom throughout this podcast. I've I've learned a lot. Um, so thank you for your yeah. time today. And and a real pleasure to have you on the show.
0: Well, thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for and thanks, thanks for surfacing the uh, the the visibility into specifically API security. Yeah. I think we're it's it's really something that that we, big team we like as a species, we mm. need to understand better so that we can we we can get it under control.
1: Yeah, sure. Fantastic, yeah, Chuck, yeah, fantastic guest. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and give us a rating. It really helps these stories to be found and enjoyed by more people. For more information about Nuco, we can be found at www.nuco-group.com. That's n-e-u-c-o-group.com.